What keeps you grounded? What keeps you centered? He keeps me centered. That is Happy, Happy the Sparrow. Hi, Happy. I had to lose everything and hit complete rock bottom to be so just open for a miracle to fall from the sky, literally fall from the sky. It's these things, these magic moments are there. It can take you from the worst place in your mind to even if it's for moments at a time to a place that feels soft and safe. Hello, hello. I have Maria here. This is my very first episode, so I'm just very grateful that you're willing to join me on this. I'm very excited to do this with you. You do many things. You, you're, you're a writer, director, filmmaker, producer, author. What did I miss? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Biology major, uh, health science degree. Come from a totally oh. different background than the creative arts. So yeah, yeah it's interesting. What is that? What is that chirping sound? The chirping sounds you hear. I'm glad you can hear him. He was overseeing how I'm doing on on your first podcast. That is Happy. Happy the Sparrow. Hi, Happy. Do you want a wormy worm? Come here. I'll grab him over here in a second. He is a house sparrow. And I found him when he was one day old during the pandemic. I mean, I'd lost all my income overnight. I had just gone through a rough breakup. I had moved out of the home I was in. All my stuff was in storage and I was renting a room. And and then my dog died. And so I was not in a good place, but I found this little guy in 2020. And he's now almost four years old. Oh my gosh. Wait, hold on. Yeah. That's a lot. <laughs> That's a lot. Yeah, okay. it's a lot. First of all, how do you know that Happy was one day old? Because of how small he was. So Happy was, he was this tiny, tiny little, about a day old sparrow. So sparrows are born completely bald. So they're just little pink things with their eyes closed. And he was tiny. He looked like, he looked like a little wad of bubble gum. And then another bird was pecking at him. And then I thought, oh, maybe it's a little crab, but we weren't near the beach. So I was like, that's weird. And as I got closer, I realized he was a baby bird and he was just in the middle of the street. And an adult bird was pecking him on the head. Basically, I think it's almost like a euthanasia, like this bird's not going to make it. So we don't know as humans why adult birds will do that sometimes, survival of the fittest, or if it's actually a compassion thing. Who knows? I don't know. I got there just in the nick of time, I guess. And he had little peck marks on his head, but he had a huge wound on his top beak. So he had a, his whole top beak was a big scab. I scooped him up and ran home. And I honestly just kind of, I thought I was just bringing him home to like kind of lay peacefully and not be in the middle of the streets. And the little guy obviously had a massive will to survive. And despite my horrific mama birding in the beginning, he survived that. And I found a rehabber. The rehabber sent me pictures of him in a nest with other birds and all this beautiful. It was, it was wonderful. I was so excited. He was going to be free. That was after having him for seven days. But it was really interesting because I had lost so much so fast, as so many people did. You know, the pandemic just, I mean, it was horrendous for, for so many humans and we lost so many humans and so many beings. But I was in that heartache. And when I drove away from the rehabbers from dropping him off, I was crying. I was a grown woman crying because I dropped a baby bird off. <laughs> to a rehab. Three days later, she messaged me and she said, you know, this little guy's not going to survive. The wound on his beak is extensive. We're going to have to euthanize him. And I was like, oh my gosh, what? And she said, unless you want to adopt him. And I was there in 25 minutes and picked him up and brought him home without knowing anything about 
raising a songbird. Lo and behold, four years later, happy, wow. going strong. And he's been the biggest blessing of my life. I, I did yeah. see the the news clip of, and I saw the one day old picture and yeah. you were feeding him dog food, right? In the beginning? Yeah, a little oh, king food, food okay. like cat food. That's like, yeah, it's really specific kind of each baby bird, they eat very different things and you kind of have to know what to feed them. And it's a whole thing. And the house sparrows are, they're an invasive species here in the US. So that's why I'm legally allowed to keep them. What, what does that mean, invasive? species? So basically, there there are native species when it comes to all animals. There are native species in different ecological areas in different parts around the world in different areas, even specific to different states or provinces. And so when a species is a native species, they work with the ecosystem. When an invasive species comes in, they tend to work against the ecological system. House sparrows were introduced here in like, I think it was 1870. So humans brought them here to try and eradicate some pests that was eating trees because humans always think we know better <laughs> than nature. Oh, wow. And now sparrows are here. Yeah. So yeah, but they're on every continent except Antarctica at this point. So in a very short period of time, you have to learn how to take care of, right? Happy. And did you do a lot of research? Did you have friends that are vets or how how did you go about doing that? Because it was the pandemic when I found him, it was really hard to, I couldn't really see anybody or bring him out to anybody. So the rehabber gave me a lot of information and that helped immensely. And honestly, research, 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 research. I figured out what to feed him, what not to feed him. And I took it a few steps further and we have a way that we can communicate now and he understands words and it's pretty wild. Tell, Tell me about that. I have always always had a really strong connection to animals and like all animals, all the creepy crawlies, all the things that people are like, that's disgusting. I love them like snakes and frogs and toads. And I have a chameleon right back there who's amazing. You can figure out how to communicate with other animals if you're willing to listen. And I think that goes for humans too. If we don't speak the same language, we can kind of listen with more than our ears and we can feel what somebody's saying and we can understand each other a lot, a lot more if we just take a minute. The same goes for other species. So with dogs, it's really simple. We all know, right? A dog, what, what their behavior is and what they do. And then when it comes to our own dogs or cats, we know even more. Like we know when our dog has to go to the bathroom, they have different signs they give us. It's the same for other species. So Happy doesn't have paws or he doesn't bark, but he uses his beak to communicate. So I realized he would tap me with his beak when he wanted something. His intonation and his chirps would be different. So I would hold him up to my mouth and say different words and he would tap my mouth when he wants a specific thing. Like, so he understands berries. Yeah, pretty cool, right? He understands yeah. berries, worm, sprouts, uh, bananas, his banana. Wow. How much of it do yeah. you think is actual language, sounds, and how much of it is intuitive? Maybe sort of like an energetic communication. I mean, I think all communication at the base is sort of is vibrational. And that's even science, yeah. right? Because our words, everything's vibration. So I do feel like it just blends together. The words make it easy and quick for us to decipher. But I do think in a way they dumb us down from that intuitiveness that we have, that we all, I, mm. I believe that we all have that, that vibrational, energetic intuitiveness. One thing I can say with Happy is he answers so fast. So I do feel like there's an energy there that he knows what I'm going to say. He'll stay quiet when I'm yeah. saying very sprouts. And then it's almost as right when I'm saying worm, he knows it as I'm saying it. And he'll be like, 
That's his yes. Wow. It's a little, it's crazy cool. Yeah. I can talk to you about this because I feel like you feel that too. But some people yeah. are like, what is this lady talking about? I think it's intuitive for me. So for instance, for me, when a patient comes into my office and I'm working on them and I'm diagnosing them and I'm feeling, sometimes I just get, get a sense this is emotional. This is an emotional issue. This is not physical. Or maybe they're saying something, but underneath the words, they're saying one thing, but underneath they're saying another, and you can just sense that. And I think that's the energy. That's the vibration, the frequency. Yeah. 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 I see that you use a lot of in intuitiveness with your practice and what you do, which is actually why I reached out to you. And I was like, hey, do you ever come to LA? I will be driving down yeah, to see yeah. you. And my writing partner is <laughs> going to come with me as well. My writing partner, Meg, is going to come with me. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for sensing that. I'm starting to show more of it. I, I want to change my content to show more of it. I think Love what it. I'm showing right now, it's fun and, and it's, you know, it's trendy or whatever, but I want to show more of what I do and who I am, which is kind of what we're okay. discussing today. You know, okay. kind of more of the things that you can't see with your eyes or hear with your ears, but you can sense and feel. I really feel like healers and artists are very similar. You know, it, at first there is a logical analytical component of learning something. And then after that, it's expression, it's listening, it's intuiting, and there's an art form to it. So many ways, I, I feel more like an artist than I am a practitioner in a lot of ways. And I want to share more of that. Please do. <laughs> So before we get into all of what you do, I'm so curious what happened during that time period, the pandemic period, when you said you lost everything overnight? Kind of a combination of all that. So I, I was writing. I've been writing for a decade. It's writing and, and storytelling is something I think that's in someone's heart. It's not like, oh, I want to I want to be a famous author. I want to be a famous. It's because you really have to stick with it and you have to love something you're going to stick with. So it's something that I, I can't not do. <laughs> in a sense, I actually started writing in my 20s. I started writing and I was too shy to show anybody what I was writing. I didn't feel like my grammar was good enough. I went to school in French. And so I my, you know, I just always felt a little insecure. You're from and, Canada? Uh, I am. I'm from Montreal, Canada. I'm half Guyanese. South American okay. and half French Canadian. Okay. The year before, so 2019, I finally had a really good lit manager who was amazing. I, I adored working with him. It was the year where I, I was I was living with my my boyfriend at the time and stuff. And I all I did was like focus on my writing. And are, are you writing for like a, a book or a screenplay or screenplays? So I'm a screenplay okay. writer and. I just yeah. finished, I wrote my children's book that's on Amazon. I wrote a children's book years ago. And then I just, I, my focus is, is filmmaking. I had meetings at TriStar, at Sony TriStar to turn it into a series. I had meetings with Broadway Video, which is Lorne Michaels' company. And I walked in like the biggest fangirl because that's Saturday Night Live, right? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> so excited, so silly. But these are things that you see these creatives who are just so talented in what they do. And I admire it and respect it so much because it's not an easy path to choose. And then, you know, Kevin Hart's company had me coming in. And just as everything was going, the pandemic hit. Oh, well, hello. Hello. Interruption. It's a sparrow interruption. Just as everything, I had another project as well that was in development at UTA. So I had two projects for the first time in, in like 15 years of really just putting my heart and soul into projects. First time in all that time that they were going. And when the pandemic hit, like just the rug got pulled right out from under me. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I had thrown a Hail Mary that year because things were going. So I was just writing. I wasn't even like bringing any income in, just writing and doing my thing and like... <laughs> So when the pandemic yeah. hit, I left my boyfriend in February of 2020. So by okay, March, right before the pandemic. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. And I had got two new jobs. Like I was like, yeah, whoa, let's light the world on fire. And then pandemic, shunk. And I was like, uh, what? This, this isn't going to last? Like, what's going to happen? 
you know, right? And then my dog got really sick and I would go for one run a day around the neighborhood. Two blocks from home on one of my runs, I found my little guy, my little happy. You know, when we talk about like health and well-being, what he did for me is pretty magical. So I found him at a time where I had just lost so much so fast and I, I couldn't see a way out because I had nothing coming in, no income. I, I didn't know what I was going to do. My dog was sick. And two weeks after I found happy, my dog actually died. And that was, she was my best friend of 15 years. So I was just like, rock. A lot of loss, a lot of endings that happened in a short period of time for you. Yeah. And then with no foreseeable hope for the future. And when you take someone's hope away and their inspiration and their motivation and anything that drives them, it, it just, what have you got left, right? It's it's really, yeah. really hard. And that, that can be said for any human around the world. If we do that to human, other humans, then when we have nothing to hold on to, what have we, we've got, we've got nothing. And so what I did have was a tiny little bird who needed to be fed every 20 minutes of every day from sun up to sundown. So I had to get out oh, of wow. bed whether I wanted to or not to feed this little guy. Um, <laughs> He's like, thank you. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> Are you so sweet? No, hi. I'm not paying attention to you, I know. He gave me the gift of the present moment every 20 minutes of every day from sun up to sundown at the worst time in my life. For one being to give another being that gift, I can't even explain the magnitude of that gift. It's massive. That was the first gift Happy gave me. Just me in a, in a room. I was renting a room in a bedroom with Happy. How long did that last? Were you feeding him like that? How many days or weeks? Every 20 minutes was the first two weeks. And then wow. it goes to every 40 minutes. And then because of his beak, hey, come here, Bubba. You want to show him your beak? Come here. Because of his beak, he doesn't have a normal beak. His beak, normal bird beaks do this. Happy's missing all this part of his beak. So his beak turns up into a smile. And so mm. he can't pick up food like other birds with his little, because his beak does this. And I grow sprouts for him and I do different things for him. So even when he was big enough to eat on his own, I still had to feed him special things. And, and it's been a learning process and we've, we've got it down. We've got it down now for nutrition and, and Wait, all so the how, things. how does yeah. he eat now? He just kind of slurps it up or? He turns to the side. So uh -huh. he turns to the side to pick up pine nuts. He's a bougie bird. He gets the expensive nuts. <laughs> They're soft. They're soft enough for him to eat. So he will actually turn sideways to pick stuff up instead of straight on. Oh, wow. Yeah. So they're very adaptable. And But the yeah. other thing, I have to trim his beak every three weeks because it'll grow out oh, of control. Wow. If it was shaped properly, that wouldn't be the case. Okay. When the rehabber said, you know, we can't help him anymore. You can adopt him. Did you know that he was going to be okay? Or what was your thought process no. then when you brought him back? No, she said, we actually don't know because he was still a baby. So his beak was like a little nub. They didn't know if it would even grow or what would happen. She told me flat out, she goes, we don't know if he'll survive as an adult. We don't know how his beak will grow in. It could totally block his breathing. So I was like, I'll, I'll take my chances. And when did you know that his beak was growing in, and that he'd be okay? Like how long after you took him in the second time did you realize that? You know, I mean, it's always kind of a thing with him because it's like, I always, I constantly have to clean it and stuff and make sure yeah. it's okay. It's just been a day by day kind of thing, I guess, where he's so healthy. He's so good. He has a vet that comes to the house and checks him out when needed. I mean, I guess I just kind of, it was day by day. And then you started to see it grow. Did you get like excited yeah. when you saw that? Yeah, it was pretty neat because it would start to grow. And then, then I realized I had to be the one to trim it. And I, that's horrendous because I could kill him by trimming his beak, which is so every three weeks. Wait. Yeah. That's what I mean. It's like constantly a. <laughs> oh gosh. It's... Yeah. Their beaks have, you know, like dog claws. 
They have a quick yeah. in them. So if you trim yeah. it too low, it can bleed. But it's mm-hmm. half his face. If I trim it too low, it's like someone cutting your nose off. It's not very good for oh. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if any <laughs> um, vets out there could learn from this or would like like to talk to you about this, right? Because if the rehabber didn't know this was possible, this is kind of like a case study almost. It absolutely is. And as a biology major, yes, I've definitely been like, wow, this is pretty neat. And the communication that we, we've developed and stuff is pretty cool. Right. So yeah. well, I had a wonderful vet in my documentary that I have coming out called Finding Happy. And okay. he was pretty fascinated by the whole, um, the relationship and, and Happy's adaptation and everything. Well, tell me about the documentary. Yeah. So Happy's story, our bond grew pretty quickly. And I'm somebody who's really intuitive with animals. So I started sharing Happy on social media, on Instagram and Facebook and stuff specifically, like family back home on Facebook and then Instagram and TikTok. When? Um, when did you start doing that? Like pretty, pretty immediately. When I found him, I was like, oh my gosh, I found a bird. Can anyone help? So it was pretty immediate that I started sharing him on my pages, on my personal pages. It wasn't long, maybe like a month and a half, two months or something when the Dodo, the Dodo reached out and said, oh, we'd like to do a piece on you and Happy. And I was like, great. And the story went completely viral. Oh, so, wow. Is that what grew your account? That is what grew my account. And then just, you know, I, I keep posting, I keep posting about happy, but it's about kindness and compassion and just making people smile. So I think it's an easy account to go to and just if you just want to smile. And it was interesting during the pandemic, I think so many people were just feeling so broken that the messages I was getting would break my heart and put it back together in like three sentences. I mean, I got messages like I'm going through chemo, I can't see my family and happy made me smile today. Like, I mean, oh yeah, no, yeah, it was heavy. Um, I've been in a deep depression. My kids haven't heard me laugh in six months. Thank you so much for the laugh today. Like, Yeah. And so I realized that it was just so much bigger than just me and happy that like people are so yearning for something positive and pure and kind. And so I just kind of kept spreading the positive vibes on on socials. And then a producer named Jim Greenbaum, who's just such a sweet man, came to me during the pandemic and said, I would like to make a film about you and Happy. I think my response was, she said a feature film about you and Happy, a documentary. And I said, I don't think anyone's going to watch a feature film about me and a bird in a room because it was just me and Happy in a room. (laughs) Yeah. So we had to come up with a concept, which was interviewing other people with unique human-animal bonds. And that's why I got to travel around the US and over to Thailand to interview the really special humans about their unique bonds with animals that they have. What, what yeah. kind of animals? So I interview Ryan and Jenna. Jenna's a cow, a big old dairy cow, and she's amazing. She's like a big yeah. grass puppy. She's huge. Cows get huge when they're left to actually live out their life, right? They get... Massive. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. You she's mean compared massive. to when they're caged up? Yeah. Yeah, because then they're slaughtered oh, okay. young. Yeah, it's a whole thing. Oh. So when they're left to grow, they get big. Where was this at? Jenna and Ryan are in um, Virginia. And we met Dave and Sammy. Sammy is a chicken. Sammy has unfortunately passed away recently. Dave and Sammy met us in uh, New York. So we should be in New York. Zach Scow and Cora, his dog that's missing two front legs. Zach is from Marley's Mutts, and that was in Tehachapi out in California here. And we also did my friend Cheryl with her goose Honk. And that story went viral during the pandemic at the same time that my story with Happy went viral. And that was in Dallas, Texas. Okay. And the last person was uh, Lek Chailart. She's famous for her work with elephants. We went to Thailand to interview her at Elephant Nature Park. What part of Thailand? It's just north of Chiang Mai. Chiang Mai, yeah. Okay. I went to an elephant sanctuary in that area last year. Oh, you did? Do you know which one? Yeah. 
I, I they all sound similar to the names, so I, they do. I, I could look it up, but um, yeah, cool. Yeah, I know a little bit about the culture there and the elephants, and and there's some controversy too with Karen people and all of that, right? Yeah. Yes, huge. Yes, yeah, so, okay, so there's no riding or anything like that. It's and she, the mahouts that yeah. come in to work for her, work with the elephants, and there's no bull hooks or riding or all the all the things. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I heard that the Karen people they grow up with elephants, like they live together with them, right? It's it's a part of their their life and their culture, and and also for the elephants. And this goes back a long time, doesn't it? Yeah, fascinating. So, are you finished? Are you still filming? Or it's a nonprofit doc, so we've you know it's all donation based. We have pretty much finished. I have an amazing post team who has worked without getting paid for a little bit, so we just have a little bit of fundraising left to do, which we'll we'll make, we'll start mm. back on in the new year. But otherwise, yeah, the the documentary's cut together. We're just adding credits, graphics, and and the 4K animation parts, the, the sequences in it. But otherwise, it's pretty much cut together and like in a good a really solid cut at the moment yeah and and how long did the filming take like what was the three years time wow three years because it started in 2020 documentaries (laughs) are no joke especially during that time when there was so much uncertainty and so much fear and yeah so going back to that time you're writing and you're getting all these offers because i heard with writing that you have to pitch there's a lot of steps it's not like you have a screenplay and you take it to one person they like it and a movie gets made there's so many extra steps there's red tape there's a lot of things that could go wrong in the process of doing that Right. So how did you get all these companies wanting your work all of a sudden? And then after the rug got pulled, where are you at now? My manager, I had a manager, I was with Octagon Entertainment and he's the one who sent this one. It's an original pilot that I wrote. Oh, hi, Happy. He's the the one (laughs) who wrote. (laughs) Why? He sent that script out to people. So because you can't really send unsolicited scripts out to TriStar. I can't just send my script over to them. It has to come from somebody, an agent. My agent I was working with, Jeff Diamond, he was sending that script out. And that's what got me into all those rooms. And then there's another project that I'm actually filming this year with my producing partners and my writing partner called Got Daddy Issues, like Got Milk. It's a fun female-driven comedy. But that was set to go as well. And then just when everything stopped, it just got pulled. So everything got was moving forward through my manager, Jeff, at the time. And then everything got pulled. And now everything that's moving forward, the documentary is through my own. I started my own production company called Happy Moon Productions. Happy and then Moon was my dog. So Happy Moon. Mm. And so I've since I have directed written and produced four commercials through that company since and finished the documentary and am starting pre-production on Got Daddy Issues with my writing partner, Meg McKend, and our other, our third partner on the film, Diane Foster. They're both forces of nature and we're going to have a blast. And it's funny how when everything fell through because of the pandemic and yeah. some other factors, we were devastated. My writing partner and I were just kind of, we were pretty broken about it. And now we're making it on our own. We feel so confident and we wouldn't have it any other way. And so it's just another kind of testament to the universe going, hey, wait, this isn't the right way you're supposed to do this. We got you. Just trust, just trust a little bit, <laughs> a little longer. What, what was the, what was the time frame from when everything got pulled? And then when did you start doing all of this? Because there must've been a time of, man, I, I got to go get a job somewhere else. Or did you like, what happened? Oh, yeah. Oh, I helped open and ran restaurants the whole time I was filming Finding Happy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I worked my butt off because it's a nonprofit doc. So I wasn't getting paid. So I had to I definitely had to um, had to work. So needless to say, I've had zero social life for three years. No time for any 
any of the fun stuff like dating or anything. Yeah. But I've had the best time ever. So it's so fascinating how what, what you think you need in life and then what actually fulfills you. It's really interesting. But daddy issues is an interesting, got daddy issues. My writing partner and I wrote it 11 years ago, the first cut, the first draft. So it's been a long process. We've both lost our fathers since writing it. And it deals with our relationships oh, wow. with our fathers. That's why doing it this way, our way, is the only way that this movie should be made. We shouldn't be handing this off to someone who's going to just rip it apart and change it because it's personal stories. I have other scripts where people can take them and they can rip them apart and do whatever they want with it. It doesn't bother me. But this one, just not this one. So the universe knows better. <laughs> than we do a lot of times. You started working at restaurants because you're like, okay, I got to make ends meet. And then yeah. from there, what made you decide, I'm not going to pitch to companies anymore. I'm going to start my own company. I've worked in restaurants since, man, I started a pizza when I was 15. I know the restaurant business like the back of my hand. And then I started managing restaurants, running restaurants and helping to open restaurants. So new hires getting the place set up. So I've kind of mm. done all the things in the restaurant industry. Um, and I've worked on and off for the same restaurant group for about 13 years in California. They're the only restaurant group. Well, I've worked for two restaurant groups in California. Love them both. The owners of both are dear friends and I love them. My my whole time in LA, not my whole time, but on and off, I've been working in restaurants while writing, acting, doing all the things. But when I shifted from acting to writing, I really needed to make sure I had a stable income coming in. So I just kept kept doing that. When things shifted a little bit, I mean, I still worked in a restaurant right up until I left for Thailand, which was February of this year. So I still worked in restaurants. I worked through the pandemic. I was a manager at Rosaline Restaurant on Melrose, which is an amazing Peruvian restaurant. I will continue to do so. I enjoy managing restaurants and working with people. And But the, yeah. but the companies, didn't, they didn't come back to you when things kind of calmed down and said, hey, we're ready to continue where we left off? No. So my manager left the business. He went back to business school. Oh. So I don't even have representation. So everything I've done, I've done completely on my own from here. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> And, yeah, and when did you start doing terrifying. that? So that was really in 2020 when Jim Greenbaum came to me and said, I want to make a movie about you and Happy. I'm the writer, director, and producer on that. It just gave me the confidence I needed. Making my project gave me the confidence to throw my name in the hat to direct commercials. And then so I've done four since then and other projects on the way. That's basically what happened. I just started my own company in 2021. All of those endings, all of those you know, the rug getting pulled allowed you to start from scratch. It was like a rebirth. Yeah, wow. Totally. I love it. <laughs> yes, me too. It's been, that's why I'm like, the blessing started with finding happy, but they continue. And, and it's just amazing what all the magic that he's brought into my life and that I've, that I've made happen through it. So I'll give myself a little credit. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. You know, during the pandemic, I saw a lot of patients too, and a lot of them had career changes. A lot of people went through sort of an ending and a rebirth during that time. When I think when the world stops, it really forces you to look at you know, all the things you, you were ignoring, all the unconscious thoughts and, and feelings suddenly just become conscious, you know. So I saw and encouraged a lot of people to follow their dreams or go after that. What do you have to lose? What are you scared of? And also exactly. with relationships too, a lot of endings and beginnings in relationships during that time. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. It's so beautiful. The human experience is no joke, right? <laughs> That's no joke. Yeah. And for me, towards the end of the pandemic, end of 2021, beginning of 2022 is when I started putting myself out there more too. And I started building an audience that was like a rebirth for me as well at that time. Well, love that. Yeah. And that's how I found you. Yeah. Your social media and Instagram. 
I know. And, and I've met so many new friends and I've been inspired by so many different people that you're able to connect online and digital. And I think it's so cool. Yeah. Um, same. Going back to you, though, the, I'm looking here and, and it's like there's so many aspects of you that I haven't even covered. You said you were science, biology, science and health background. Is that what you yeah. majored in college or what yeah. was that about? Because I see you doing yoga. I see you at the gym. I see I, I know you said you're also a trainer. So was that your, like, was that where you started? Was that your roots or? Interestingly, kind of yes and no. I, I love health and wellness. And I still, to this day, I mean, I work out, I lift weights, I do yoga, I eat healthy. I'm like supplement, all the things that I, I'm, I love that. So it's part of who I am and always will be. I grew up an athlete. I played, I mean, I started teaching tennis at 15. I played provincial softball, provincial soccer. So I've always been very active mm. and I know how good that makes my body feel. I like feeling strong too in my body because I feel like it helps me feel stronger in my mind. And I've been a personal trainer, but just privately, I've never worked for a gym or anything like that. And more because I really love to inspire people to move and to feel better about themselves and feel better in their bodies. And I feel like movement can really do that. And it can be something as simple as going for a walk. It does not need to be something crazy. And I tell people this all the time, do something you enjoy because you'll stick with it. <laughs> That's number one thing. That is my background. I think the science thing was more just because I was good at sciences and I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And the creative arts were so far out of my wheelhouse. It wasn't even part of like what I thought I could ever do. It wasn't even there. I have some similar too. I grew up thinking I wasn't creative. And I think early on, my the teachers and the people I looked up to sort of instilled that in me. No one said, you're not creative, or, or but I wasn't encouraged. You know, and I saw my classmates like they knew how to draw really well they knew how to create things. And I'm like, oh, that's that's not me. I'm not good at that. You know, and I was never fostered. But I'm so creative, discovering it more later on in, in, in my life now. But I'm so glad that I, I'm discovering it. You know, so much of it is giving permission to yourself, right, that you are creative and, and allowing yourself to express. Yes. Hundred percent. I mean, I remember writing and my first essay, and I wrote. <laughs> this is embarrassing. I wrote S dot A on the cover page because I because I went to school <laughs> in French, right? Yeah. And then I got horrible grades. I remember I wrote this whole Halloween like horror nights like essay, and I loved it because I loved the story. My grammar was horrendous, so I got a terrible grade on it, and that just locked me up. And it's not the teacher's fault or anything. It's just it just locked me up. I used to write poetry in private and write in private, and then I finally this is kind of it. Do you know who Tom Shadyac is? No. So Tom Shadyac, he's a big director and he he made Jim Carrey's career. So he did like Liar Liar, Pet Detective, um, Ace oh, Ventura. Yeah, okay. He directed all those movies. He read, actually, it was the, the Got Daddy Issues script years ago. And he and he's the first person I allowed to like read a script I wrote. And he was like, this is so funny. It's so good. You guys need to make this. And he actually gave me the confidence to keep going in my writing and show people. And actually. <laughs> when was that? How old are you? That was probably like 2011. And was that just, just on a whim? You showed him on a whim or? Yeah, he was, he's always very encouraging. Tom's really cool. He, he used to do these things called coffee talks on Sunday mornings where he would have a guest and invite people to listen. And it was all about creativity and your truth and being kind and connecting people with other people. And so it was a very safe place and safe space. And Tom was a very safe space for me. He encouraged me very much in, in, a, in a lot of different ways. He encouraged me to write a letter to my father before he passed. And uh, I did. It was a really good thing that he did. I didn't know my dad 
was going to die soon after, but he did. And wow. I said a lot of things that were needed that I needed to say. That's yeah. beautiful. And it was really, yeah, Tom, yeah, he's really special. There were angels that come up in your life to push you in the direction you need to be going. And and that, that shifted me away from really like health and wellness. I did work for a fitness company for a while, like, and, and got certified in spinning, Pilates, all different things, more because I wanted to learn than wanted to teach. I don't want to be lazy and not do anything. But when you're not following your heart, you're kind of just doing instead of like an inspired doing where you're feeling like that tingle, that drive, that thing that really that sits in your heart. It's not following your heart. It's just doing. <laughs> Is there a a defining moment for you when you felt that that inspiration and you knew that I am a creative I don't think there was like one moment because I wrote when I was young too as like a kid kid so I mm. feel like it's always it was always there I was just afraid to explore it and I never thought of it as a career possibility and then I got kind of thrown into acting through modeling and so then I was like oh wait people do do this like as a career and but acting wasn't fulfilling for me at all. Why? Because you're such a small part of a story that someone else wants to tell. And I wanted to mm. tell the full story. And so that's oh, why wow. writing is fun for me. I want to tell stories that matter to me for some reason. And that I feel like either can uplift people, make someone laugh, make someone feel not so alone, have a good message. Even if it's a psychological thriller, there can be good messages within them, you know? So. And when did you feel confident enough to pursue that? The reason why I'm asking is because I'm sure there are a lot of writers out there, closet writers, or a lot of people who yeah. write for fun, who just don't think they're good enough to pursue it, whether as a career or even to share it. So when was there a moment for you that you realized, okay, I, I need to share this? I think there was more a moment where I realized that I couldn't not do it. And I think that's okay. often what happens with things like writing. It's not necessarily that you have to do it. It's that you actually can't be... <laughs> You can't not do it. I had that realization. I wrote my very first script is called The Lemon Tree. And I just remember when I would sit down to write that I was in like, I would immerse myself in this other world that I got to create and I got to, I got to write a laugh in when I, I needed a laugh. I got to write it. And I realized that I, like my soul just needed that. And so I think it was more that moment when I was writing that script years ago that just made me go, oof, I don't want to not do this. Like I can't not do this. When you say that, do you think there's something greater than us that's giving us that drive or that inspiration? Oh, yeah. I feel like there's so much around us that we don't even have the, I don't know, we don't, there's not even like the tip that we can even grasp or understand. And I don't even know if it's a grasping or understanding if we just need to sit back and let it be. But yeah, I believe there's so much around us. You know, I feel so strongly that when there's an inspiration that comes, it's it comes from a, a greater place. You can call it universe, yeah. you can call it source, God, whatever you oh. want to call it. And that inspiration uh -huh. comes and you get that urge to create or express or share in, in whatever medium that fits you, right? And I think when oh. you say that feeling of you can not share because it comes from something bigger than you. So now whenever I feel that inspiration come up, I take myself out of it as much as I can, because I know this is greater than me. Before I used to be Maybe. scared to share, but but now when I feel that, ooh, I'm inspired. This comes from some, this is, this is like, this isn't me. I mean, it is you because you're, you're expressing it through you, but that yeah. inspiration that arises, I, yeah, I do the same. I, I'm going to share this now. I have the confidence Earth. to do that because I realize it's greater than me. I can take myself out of it. I think when we don't take ourselves out of it, then there are all the doubts and, you know, like, am I worthy? What are people going to like this? All of that comes. But when you realize that this comes from something bigger than us, then it's, you 
can trust. Just it doesn't matter how people receive it. I'm just going to share it, put it out there. And it's almost like you're giving back to the universe. You're feeding the universe back from what you received. Yeah, I think that's so important, especially how you said it doesn't matter how it's received. Our society teaches us to put so much emphasis on the value of something and it has to be like a tangible value of something. And we completely forget the value that it has for our hearts and our souls and our minds. And that's so much bigger than any dollar bill or any other kind of tangible value that we can share. It's really fascinating how we've been almost tricked or almost duped into thinking that other things mean so much more. More when if we're out of line with our heart and our soul, if this isn't lined up, oh boy, <laughs> that's a tough way to live. It's not fun. And yeah. no matter how much money you make or how much, I mean, we all know this, right? It's not going to, it's not going to line that up. We've got to, it's got to come from within. I think it's not expressed enough in our culture and our society. Yeah. Like you said, there's so much more emphasis on the value it's bringing or how much money you're making or wh- well, where you're at, your status, as opposed to, is this making you happy? Is this in alignment? with, like you said, their mind, body, and soul. And that's exactly what my documentary is about, Finding Happy. Yeah? That's exactly what it's about. The title has a double meaning. Okay. Tell me a little bit more. So you're exploring finding happiness and joy through like animals or through life? Or what do you mean by that? So basically, the, it's a story about finding happy, but it's it's centered around me finding happy. And I also explore other people who have unique bonds with unique animals. So animals that are different than the usual dog or cat. But ultimately, what the documentary is about is following your joy and finding you're happy. My path has always been lit up by animals and nature. That is that is who I am in my soul, in my heart. That is and will always be while I'm in this body. That will be what it is. And I'm so hyper aware of it that I see so many things that other people don't. I hear baby birds when other people don't. I'm very tapped in and tuned into that. And so me finding a baby bird in the middle of the street, giving him away and him coming back to me, I was just lined up and in tune with that. Mm. Somebody else is happy isn't necessarily going to be finding a baby bird in the middle of the street, finding him it's going to be something else, whatever that looks like for them. But we've got to line up. I had to lose everything and hit complete rock bottom to be so just open for a miracle to fall from the sky, literally fall from the sky into my path. If I'd have turned that corner five minutes later, two minutes later, he would have been run over. He was in the middle of the street. It's these things, these magic moments are there. Sometimes we have to lose everything. A lot of times as humans, we just have to lose everything in order to line up with them. And I know where I was at before. I was just trying so hard and put, and being so hard on myself. And when I lost everything, I didn't even have the energy to be hard on myself anymore. I didn't have it. I, I just, I, wow. I, was, I tapped out of putting myself down of like thinking I'm not doing enough. All of those things, I tapped out of it. And then everything just locked in. I found this little bird and I found him just because that's what I would always do. I've brought baby birds home since I'm a kid. I don't care if they're an invasive species, a native species, it does not bother me. You see a being in need, you pick it up, you help it. That's it. I forgot to ask you, why did you name him Happy? Because his beak is shaped like this and he looks like he's smiling. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I so mean. So it all just lined up, huh? <laughs> Yeah. Who who would have thought that all of this, even what you named him, is going to create something for the world, you know, and yeah. bring awareness to finding your inner happiness. I, I think that's amazing. It's so cool. It's so crazy. What does your lifestyle look like? You do so many things. What keeps you grounded? What keeps you centered? Do you have something like that? It keeps me centered. You know, the other interesting thing about living with a songbird who flies so fast and, and, and he's free flying in my place, as you can see, I have to slow my movements down. I have to be very consciously aware of when I 
take one step because I could step on it. I, I have to be very consciously mm. aware. So daily, he keeps me very aware of my body, where I am, where I'm moving, almost like a Tai Chi where we're just hyper aware. But my daily practice, I've meditated for years. I recommend meditation. I mean, it can take you from the worst place in your mind to even if it's for moments at a time to a place that feels soft and safe. And I know a lot of people struggle with it and they have a hard time. I love guided meditations. And if I can't lay still because I'm really just going through it, walking meditations for me are huge. And it's that repetitive motion just, and I'll start running that repetitive motion and it, it eventually clicks. That's a big one for me. Yoga is really big, moving my body, but I don't do it as diligently or as routinely as I used to. I also like to incorporate lifting weights. I like to feel strong. I'm built like a bean pole, like a ballerina, and I mm. like to have a bit of muscle. And I, I've done bodybuilding competitions. What? <laughs> just, <laughs> yeah, just to push my body and see what I could do. Okay. Not like, I never like take anything that's not like okay. any steroids or never. Yeah. So I did it for me and I did, yeah. Oh yeah, there are pictures, there's proof. So this was bodybuilding, not bikini. I did bikini and figure, yeah. Okay. But I I did, I, I had a bodybuilding coach to, to help build my muscles. <laughs> How many times did you have to eat in a day? Oh. My God, I had to eat. <laughs> and back then I wasn't vegan and I was eating. I mean, it was disgusting. I remember my mom coming to visit and she was like, that's disgusting. I was eating so much chicken and fish and turkey. And like, I would wake up in the middle of the night to have protein shakes because my metabolism is like so fast. Yeah. yeah. Horrendous for your body. Horrendous for your body. Why? why? Why do you say that? I mean, you're you're taxing it on every account, right? You're tearing the muscles, mm. and then you're feeding it these um, like absorbent amounts of food. To me, that's not a healthy lifestyle. I don't find much health in a lot of the bodybuilding and fitness industry. I feel like there's kind of a disconnect there, but that's just my opinion. Or maybe not long term. Maybe just short term. Short term. Yeah, I think short term is fine. There, I think there is some merit to challenging your body and realizing what you can do because there's a lot of discipline involved too, right? With that. Yes, a huge amount. But I think that's you 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 nailed it. So not long term, but short term and to, to push yourself and push yourself. I'm glad I did it. But to sustain that is really tough on the body. I'm very similar to you as well. I have a regular practice of meditating. You know, I try yep. to sit for 20 minutes every morning. I also like to lift weights because I like, just like you said, I like feeling sturdy. I like feeling strong. I try to do yoga, not as much as yeah. I want to. I play basketball about once a week to get my cardio. It's movement is, is very important in my life as well as having stillness. Yeah, that's an important one. I think a lot of people forget about the stillness. Well, luckily, it's starting to be talked about more. I mean, you see it now on TV too, right? Before meditation yeah. was very, it was almost like foreign and weird yeah. and like, what? What is that? But now it's, there's apps and there's, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's available to you if you really want to look. But I feel like it's still not talked about as much because I, I think it's such a valuable part of my life. It, it's, it's like brushing my teeth. Like I have to do it now. You know, I just, I just don't feel good if I don't. And not that it has to be a sitting meditation. Like you said, there's walking meditation. Yeah. There's so many different ways that people can incorporate it into their lives. But I think in this fast paced society with technology, not enough people are just sitting in silence. Yeah. And that's the thing. Stillness, silence, right? Not like with the TV on, not with like the news on, not with like just 
just me. <laughs> so are, are things slowing down for you now or do you have more time for yourself? Well, not particularly. We're about to cut a trailer for the documentary next week. And then we start going out to investors for Got Daddy issues from the new year. Currently actually raising for another film at the moment. Literally just got off the phone with other people. So things are still really kind of moving and shaking, which I love. I love feeling like the film industry is is back on its feet because that's been a bit of a rocky <laughs> a rocky road for a little mm. a minute. So yeah, not really slowed down, but I like it. I like it. I have my I take my time. I I make my time and take my time to do my meditations, to go for walks. I'll wake up at, at five in the morning and go for a little walk in the neighborhood here, and I love it. Well, you mentioned earlier you, you didn't have a lot of time to do fun stuff, and you said dating. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So that's you gonna incorporate uh, that or that's. <laughs> That applies I, to me too. I, yeah, yeah. Yes, I am going to incorporate that. Yes, 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 definitely. Um, awesome. Yes, I, I'm about ready to actually go on some dates. I'm, I'm, I'm about ready. Well, yeah. I, I hope the the new year brings you more opportunities. You know, I, I think being in relationship, it's more than just having a partner and just having someone to be with. I think it's it helps us with our self-growth and it's a mirror for us. And I think when the timing is right, it comes into our life. So... Yes. I'm wishing that for myself. I wish that for you. Thank and you. Uh, I hope that the, the new year brings more opportunities of fun in your life. <laughs> and yes. mine as yes. well. Yes. I, I, like <laughs> I like that reminder at the end. I needed that reminder because I'm all like, no, work is great. And I'm like, oh, right. Fun. There's that too. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is great. I think it's so interesting to find people in different industries and different walks of life. We can all speak about health and wellness and Good. being in alignment with our purpose and how that looks. I found this fascinating, your story, where you come from, who you are, all the things you do and happy and what you're doing to share that with the world. And I'm inspired. So thank you for for sharing that today. Thank you for inspiring me. And yeah, really nice to connect with people who are doing different things within their purpose. So I love what you're doing. I love the idea of your podcast and I'm excited to listen to more. Thank you. Before yeah. we go, where can we find you? I know you also wrote a children's book as well, right? Where, where is all of that? Yeah. Can you give us a, a little sure. rundown of where to find all your stuff? Sure, yeah. So Happy is on Instagram. His Instagram is way more fun than mine. So his Instagram is Happy the Sparrow. H-A-P-P-Y, the, T-H-E, and Sparrow, S-P-A-R-R-O-W, Happy the Sparrow. Okay. So it's at Happy the Sparrow. He's on Instagram, TikTok, and and yeah, uh, YouTube, Facebook, all the things. So and any of the documentary updates will be posted on those platforms. And then I have a children's book that's called Finding Happy the Sparrow. And that is available on Amazon. And it is based on the true rescue story of Happy, but it is a children's book. So the, the it's a little girl who finds Happy. And it deals with grief. It deals with loss because the little girl loses her best friend. It deals with how kindness can help heal a broken heart and wow. a broken beak. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Awesome. Yes. Like I said, this is great. I guess the next time we'll meet will be in my office. Definitely. I will be calling you. I will be messaging about coming down with um, Meg. It's funny, my, my mom is here and she's like, who are you doing the podcast with? And I showed her and she's like, oh my gosh, I would like to go. <laughs> I don't know if he's working throughout right. the holidays, however. <laughs> Bring everybody in. Awesome. Perfect. All right. Well, have a good rest of your day. Have a great weekend and happy holidays to you. You too. Happy holidays. Bye. Bye.